Now, do something a little different. I want to play a game with you to start off. Crowd participation. I like that. People are already into it. Great. Now, I want to, we're looking at this idea of warning signs today, and I want to get a bunch of warning signs from around the world, and you try and guess what each warning sign means. Now, there's a prize on offer. I have a bunch of crunchies to give out. It's exciting, right? So now, look, look. I'm, all right, settle down, settle down. Like, it's, it's, just, it's just crunchies, right? Um, now, you've got to keep your own score. It's going to be six. Six questions, multiple choice, keep your own score, don't cheat, Jesus sees all, so don't cheat, right? Um, I'm going to ask you what the warning signs are, and uh, you pick an answer, I'll read out what it is. Very, very simple. First one, right? This symbol here, what does that mean? Does it mean no entry? Does it mean crossroad ahead, multi-track level crossing, or you just don't know? Uh, Lock in an answer. All right, keep your answer in your mind, and the answer is... Answer number is, answer is three, multi-track level crossing. All right. We are, Jono, we are not interacting here. I'm just speaking, so shh, down there, buddy. You and your new tattoo all confident now. Anyway, let's keep going for, let's go number two. This symbol here, all vehicles must carry an orange light, no heavy goods vehicles, no vehicles with dangerous goods or fourth one is don't know. What do you think it is? Do you, know, you can hold your hand up if you want to. What answer you want there, buddy? Uh, the answer is, you ready? Answer is number three. No vehicles with dangerous goods. Anyone two from two yet? Anyone? Wow, really? Okay. We've got a few two from twos. All right. Next one. Here we go. Forget the question number six thing. I just cut and paste on the internet. Anyway. Um, that is the sign there, Juno. Hey, who knows what that means? Anyway, is it no entry? Is it customs? Is it international border ahead? Well, you're not sure. What is it? All right, lock your answer in. The answer is two, customs. Customs. Next one, please, Minaj. Here we go. This one, like a weird exploding car thing. That's the symbol. Uh, is it caution, accident ahead? Uh, no vehicles carrying explosives. Risk of glare ahead, are you not sure? Lock your, lock your answer in. Lock your answer in. Here we go. The answer is two. No vehicles carrying explosives. Okay. Uh, next one is... Second last one. Who, who's from four? Who's got four from four? Oh, Mim and R- Ryan. Look. I'm not sure if I trust... I'm not sure if I trust you, Ryan. Anyway... <laughs> Me and my trusty Ryan, not sure. Anyway, next one, here we go. Is that symbol there? Uh, is that train station stop uh, pay toll? Is it alternative highway? Or oh, you're not sure. Lock your answer in. The answer is stop pay toll. Answer is number two. Last one, here it is. Uh, there. Is it? Is it? All right, all right, quiet it down. It is a little funny, but sh- all right. Okay, number one, is it speed bumps? Is it uneven road? Is it tunnels ahead? Or are you not sure? Lock your answer in. And the answer is number two, uneven roads. Who got... Mim, did you get it right? Okay, who got... Are you put your hand up. You were here this morning. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you get six from six? You did, of course you did. Thank you. Well done, Jeremy. Well done. Um, uh, Mim, what did you get? You got four? 
Anyone get five? Four? Wow. Look, maybe you can have one of there. I'm just going to throw one up there somewhere. And I only have one left. So that, just, that just lobs in there somewhere, right? Sorry, I ran out, I ran out of crunchies. You should have bribed your audience with chocolate and all that. But what I was looking for, oh yeah, I enjoyed Morse warning signs. Have a look at these. Enjoyed that. Next one, Minaj. Suicidal deer. Enjoyed that one as well. Falling cows. Watch out for that. A danger because a plane might, plane might wheel over you. Anyway, bulls and cows don't, uh, cows don't mix. Giant octopus. Be careful. And my absolute favorite. Look at the photos. Look at them. You aren't allowed to wee like a dog. Anyway, there's my slides. I had a great time looking at that. Look, what, what are we doing today? We're looking at this idea of warning, warning signs. And what's the main point of a warning sign? It's to warn you, it's to keep from danger, stop from being harmed or being hurt. That's the purpose of a warning sign. And the warning signs are there for your good. To look after you should keep you from getting hurt. And it's important to first recognize a warning sign and second to uh, recognize what it's warning you about. And uh, when you see a warning sign, you can choose to obey it or you can choose to ignore it and keep going and, uh, and, and, and risking harm. Throughout the Bible, there are a bunch of times where God warns his people. You read the Old Testament, there's a lot of warnings that God gives his people over and over again. And he wants them to not wander from his ways, but to obey him with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. Now, if you're reading along the scripture app, maybe you're not, we're in the prophets, or just finish the prophets. In the prophets, you get in Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, you get a lot of warning from God, where he's warning his people that they have wandered, and he warns them again and again to come back to him. Uh, you read of God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament, failing to listen to the warning and failing to act, and it does not end well with them. If you read the Old Testament, you read of God who loves this people, Israel, and he chooses them, and he cares for them. Uh, in Ezekiel 17, he really talks about how he, he has loved this, this, this nation like a child, like a, like a wife almost, and cared for it. And you read that he saves them, he chooses them, he provides for them, and even dwells among them. And out of his love and care, he, he warns them not to, leave, not to go astray because they're heading a dangerous path, like a loving dad caring for his kids. But they fail to listen to him again and again. And when you come to the New Testament... Uh, when you read of, of Jesus and his life and after that, you think, well, there's no more need for warning, right? Jesus has come, taken away our sin, everything's going to be great. But you read again and again in the New Testament, there are, there are warning passages again in the New Testament. We read in the Gospels from Jesus' mouth in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats, and he says, some of you will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, but I will say to you, away from me, I never knew you. You read that as a warning and saying, do I, do I know Jesus? You read in Matthew 13 the parable of the, of the, of the soil, or the soils, where the, the seed is scattered on four different soils, and only one of them sprouts and goes strong, and the rest are, are, are die or are choked away. And again, you hear this and read this of a warning that Jesus is saying to his people. The book of Hebrews has five different warning passages warning uh, his, the readers to listen and to obey and not harden your heart. The book of 1 John is about loving one another, and those who don't love God I don't love one another, may not know God's love. Then you get uh, the famous passage in Revelation 3 where Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, I wish you were either hot nor cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. You read again and again of warning passages that come in the scriptures. 
Now, it can be hard to read these, and often we don't like them, but they are from God. And they are for us today to listen, to hear, to take notice of. They're just it's the same God of the Israelites, the same God as us. It's a loving Father who, who delights in us, but gives us these warnings to keep us on track. To keep on loving Him alone for His glory and our joy. And today, we come to another warning passage. And Paul warns this young church. And today, God wants us in this building today to hear this warning that he gives this young church. That's God's desire for us today, that we hear and take notice and hear it from a dad who loves us so much, who loves us so much, who gave his son to set us free from sin and death and Satan. But these warnings are given to us to keep us on the right track. And that's what we need to hear them today, in in the light of that. He wants us to listen, to take stock, to weigh up and pay attention. So let's have a look at this warning. Last week we heard Jez come and speak on 1 Corinthians 9 and he was talking about Paul and Paul was going to do anything he could to win some for Christ, to, for the Jews become like a Jew, to the weak become weak, so that he may win some for Christ. That's what his life is about. Have a look at uh, sentences 24 to 27 of chapter 9 because it flows into what we're looking at today. It says this, Do you not know uh, that in a race all the runners run, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. So, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's saying, as a, as a follower of his for himself, that he is disciplined, that he knows where he's going. He has a purpose in his life. And he runs in a way that he receives the prize of glory, the prize of reaching eternity. He runs with a finish line inside. He's focused on where he's going, where he's heading. Paul was talking, uh, was talking about doing whatever he could to help others know Jesus, but he's also concerned that he finishes the race, that he is disciplined so that he himself should not be disqualified. Paul, Paul knows that, uh, that running for Jesus, running, walking as a follower of him is hard, and it takes intentionality. Paul knows that you can't just drift towards holiness. You can't do that. It takes discipline, keeping your eyes focused on the bigger picture of eternity, on the goal, on the finish line. And he knows that as you walk for Jesus, distractions will come at you, temptations will come. But he wants to run in a way where he won't be disqualified. And now in chapter 10, he turns from his own life, and he turns his attention about disqualification to the Corinthian church. And that's what he's picking up here, and that's what we're going to look at today. And he warns them about the danger of disqualification. Have a look at sentences 1 to 4 of chapter 10. It says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, Paul starts with the four, so you know that his argument from chapter 9 is continuing, he's, he's flowing it on, and he wants to show them this, is, this is one stream of thought about disqualification that he's still going to focus on. And he wants his church to understand, to pay attention, to heed the warning about being disqualified, that drifting away from Jesus, the warning about being complacent, saying, don't be complacent. And so what Paul does is he draws an analogy or a similar um, teaching from the Old Testament Israelites and saying how they are very similar to the Corinthians. He takes it way back to the Old Old Testament 
And uh, that, uh, the story recorded of the, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, the Israelites. And later on in sentence 6, Paul even says that all that happened with the Israelites was actually an example for you guys. That's why it's recorded. It's an example for you readers to know what they were like and to learn the lessons they learned and not make the same mistakes. That's what he's pushing here. So they need to, we need to look at what happened and learn from them. And Paul recounts what happened all the way back in the book of Exodus. Um, you may or may not, may not know the story of Moses, uh, where he leads the people out of slavery in Egypt. They were slaves under the Pharaoh there, and Moses is raised up by God, and he leads them out of slavery. Over, look, potentially 2.4 million Israelites were led out of slavery that time. God leads them out, and God is using Moses, but God is also there. He's dwelling among his people, and he's physically there. And look at Exodus 21 and 22. Look what it says. And the Lord went before them, the Israelites, as they're coming out of slavery. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night Um, did not depart from before the people. God is there with his people, Israel, leading them out of slavery. He's present there in the cloud. If you keep reading the story of Exodus, God tells Moses to part the Red Sea, and they they do that, and God parts the sea from them, and they exit. Paul says in sentence 2 that not only was God leading them and dwelling with them in the cloud and rescuing them, they were also baptized. They were baptized, meaning he united with Moses. They're united with their, with their saviour of that time, Moses. Paul also says in sentence 3, they ate spiritual food and drink, that is food given by God. You know, as followers of Jesus, we have, and we celebrate now and again, the Lord's Supper. We, look, we celebrate communion, where we drink the juice or the wine or the, and eat the bread, um, celebrating Jesus' death and resurrection. The bread symbolising Jesus' body broken for us on the cross, and the blood symbolising his, his, um, his blood shed for us. And we do that to remember uh, all that we have in Jesus and to do it together to celebrate and remember what Christ has done. And Paul is saying here in a similar way, even back before Jesus even came on the scene, these, these, these Israelites had their own spiritual food, similar to what you guys have, you, you Corinthians have. They had their spiritual food, they ate the manna that was God was, gave them, and they drank the water from the rock, which is Exodus 17. God was providing for them even back then. Paul even goes a step further and says... This drinking from the rock, which happened in Exodus 17, was more about drinking from this true spiritual rock, uh, which is Jesus. And Paul is saying here that it's hard to get a hedge around, but even before Jesus became flesh and became man, he existed, as we know, in the Trinity, before time, before everything else. But he was there, even with the people dwelling among them. That's where he was. He was the source of life for the people of Israel. A lot to get our heads around and think, why does that even mean? But he's saying, even back then, Jesus was with them. But, but Paul's, Paul's big point of all of this is saying, have a good sentence five. It says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Paul is saying, these people of God, God rescued them. He was with them. He dwelt within the cloud. They had baptism. They had spiritual food. They were God's chosen people. They had all these blessings, very similar blessings to what you have, Corinthians, and yet God was still not pleased with them for they were overthrown in the wilderness. If you know the story of Israel, they were rescued from slavery. God said, you are my people, I'll be your God. 
God loved them, protected them, cared for them. He says, I'll give you a great promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Be lavish. You'll be the envy of all other nations. And he said, look, worship me alone. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And he gave them the Ten Commandments to know how to live. And it was a great deal. But the people of Israel didn't want it. They didn't want to obey God nor follow him. Even though, uh, even though they had in him everything they needed, they rebelled against him, didn't listen to him. They even made a, a, a cow uh, made out of gold they found and, and melted it down and made a statue and worshipped that rather than the living God who had just saved them out of exile. And so Paul says in sentence 5, with most of them, God was not pleased and they were overthrown in the wilderness. These people were promised a land, like I said, and God said, here's the land, you can take it. Go in and spy, spy out the land and see how great it is. So spies went across, they saw the land, and they saw the people who inhabited the land were huge and thought there's no way that we can take this land because people are already there. And God says, I will give, I've given you the land, just take it. I've given these people in this land over to you in your hands. I've got it. They didn't believe God, didn't trust God, and they said, no, we can't. They started saying, well, let's go back to Egypt even. And God says, because you've rebelled, because you don't trust me, uh, you will wander in the, in the desert for 40 years, in the wilderness for 40 years. And they did. And that whole generation, it's estimated up to a million people uh, of, of, of the Israelite people died in the wilderness without entering this promised land because they rebelled against God, didn't trust him, didn't believe in his promises. A whole generation perished because God was not pleased with them. And Paul is, what, what Paul is saying here is, is in sentence 6. Have a look. Now these things took place, this, this rebellion, this, uh, this Israelite not believing who God, these Israelites not believing who God is, it says these things took place as an example for us so that we might not desire evil as they did. There's his point. Heed the warning. Don't be like the Israelites. Listen to my warning. Listen to my voice. Don't be like them. These Israelites had baptisms like you guys, they had spiritual food like you guys, they had Jesus like you guys, but don't make the same mistakes. And Paul says, you're falling into the same patterns as they did, and if you don't heed the warning, you'll be disqualified just like they were. A couple of months ago, um, I woke up at 3 a.m., probably with the worst pain in the back of my head I'd ever experienced. And I could barely stand up, but I, kn- I knew I needed some pain medication, some Nurofen or Panadol or whatever. So I got to my feet, but something didn't, didn't feel right. I felt really confused, but I stood up more than normal. And um, I went out into the hallway, and light was on. I couldn't, I couldn't see properly. It wasn't I just couldn't see properly. I couldn't make sense of what I was seeing. And I went to the bathroom to get the Nurofen, but my sight was hindered, and I felt really confused. And I found a box of other medication that was in my sort of cabinet behind the mirror and I got it out and I was confused what it was and why it was there it was an old box of medication that we'd had sitting around and I didn't know what it was and why it was there and it really confused me and irritated me and I couldn't work it out and then I woke Katie up and I said to her look Katie something's wrong but I couldn't again find the words to articulate was what was wrong with me what I was I couldn't it was was affecting my cognition and my sight and so I went out to the kitchen and I uh, found Katie's diary, it was on the table and I picked it up and I couldn't make sense of what I was reading it just said like 2017 and it had spelled it out in, in, in letters but I couldn't read it or make sense of what I was reading 
And uh, it was just frustrating me. And I started to really get worried at this point that something was wrong with my, my thinking, my cognition, and something wrong with my brain. And I needed help. So Katie called the ambulance. And uh, they came at like 3.30 a.m. And they checked me out. And my vitals were all fine. And I think one of the ambulance officers said, look, maybe, maybe he's just tired. <laughs> Katie's like, he's not just tired. Um, I don't know what they thought what I was like. Anyway, um, uh, like, like doesn't, your tiredness doesn't affect your speech and cognition that much, you know? Like, I'm not an ambulance officer, but I know that. Anyway, they said to me, just go back to bed and um, see a GP tomorrow. And so I did. Went to my GP and uh, told my GP what happened, and she freaked out and said, you need to be in a hospital. You don't need to be here. You need to be in a hospital right now. I can't believe I didn't take you to hospital and check you out. You need to drive there ASAP. And she was really worried. And she was worried, basically, that I had a, I have a, I had a bleed on my brain. And that uh, these symptoms that I was describing, finding it hard to articulate, loss of speech, pain, were actually uh, warning signs of something more fatal going on inside my head. And she was worried that I had a thing called a warning bleed, basically. Now, I was sitting in my GP, and she said, you need to go to hospital, giving me this warning, giving me this diagnosis. Now, I, I had a choice at that moment. I could have said, you're right, I'm going to RPA, don't want to go, I'm freaking out of it, but let's go. Or I could have said to her, thanks, doc, appreciate it, but I'm going home, I know better than you. Uh, and, and gone and left there. Now, of course, I did the first one, and I went to RPA, and there's some great people from, from 11 a.m. who actually were working at RPA at that time, and it was great, and... Praise God, it was all clear. But, but how stupid would I have been if I would have sat there, I would have heard the warning that it could have been fatal, and then ignored that warning and done nothing about it? It would have been ridiculous to do that. It could have been a matter of life and death. And that would have been so silly if I would have done that. And Paul here is saying the same thing here to the Corinthian church. He's warning them and saying, look, you know what's happened to the Israelites. You've seen, and it's already played out, and it's an example for us what has happened to them and how they have been disqualified and how they've wandered in the desert and then most of them passed away. And he's saying, you are not that dissimilar with how, you're, with how you're acting, how the church is operating. And God was not pleased with them and at the moment, God is not pleased with you. It doesn't matter about baptism and spiritual food and those things, uh, those things aren't what's going to save you. Those things are, are, are a blessing of what you have. But it doesn't mean you can live how you want to live. And he... Paul is warning the church and saying, you need to hear this, you need to change. Look at the example of the Israelites and heed the warning. And Paul doesn't stop there though, he goes deep and he wants to stretch out again, showing, I want to show you how similar you really are with the Israelites. So look at sentences 7 and 11 with me and it says this, he says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rest at the play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. that They were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Paul wants to say, okay, I want to show you even more how you're like them. I'm going to give you four, four areas of your life, of your church life, areas of sin, that you are exactly the same as the Israelites. And he mentions them. Sentence 7, don't be idolaters as some of them were. Mentioning again about worshipping golden cows and all that sort of stuff. And the Corinthians too, some of them were going back into old temples and worshipping other gods and thinking, it's fine, we can do that. Sentence 8, he says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. Paul's speaking about what happened with the Israelites in Numbers 25. We read early in the book of Corinthians where 
chapters 5 to 7, the Corinthians were indulging in, in sexual immorality and, and thinking it was fine. Sentence 9, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did. Paul referring to what the Israelites did and complaining against God because of the lack of bread and water and how, you know, we should go back to Egypt and God can't rescue us. And Paul's saying, you guys are very similar like this. And not grumbling. Sentence 10. And again, the Israelites, were great, the Israelites and both the Corinthians were great at grumbling and have done so against Paul regularly. And now, now Paul points out these similarities from the Israelites and the Corinthians to show them you are in the same danger of having the same fate as the Israelites unless you heed this warning. He says in sentence 11 again, now these things happen to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. He's saying, we are in the end times, we are the end, ages, end of the ages, you need to act now, you need to, you need to heed this warning and do something now, don't delay. The end of the age has come. Time is short. Listen to the warning. He even goes at those who aren't listening. In sentence 12, he says, Therefore, let anyone who, th- anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. The Corinthian church had this issue with pride and arrogance. And Paul is saying here, Be careful. You think I'm not talking to you? I'm talking to you. You think you're okay? You won't fall? that you won't be disqualified, then you are, the most, you are most likely the one to become disqualified. You are the most likely the one to drift. Thinking that you and Jesus are okay, but you're not. And you need to listen and pay attention. Paul is saying, know where you stand. Know who you are and be aware of what's going on. I remember a few years ago, I think I, was, um, I think I was dating Katie at the time and I took her out to a nice restaurant uh, to impress her, to win her over, and it worked. Um, and uh, we, were having a, we were having a lovely night, and halfway through the meal, I, um, I needed to go to the bathroom. And so I got up, told her, went out, and I, uh, as I walked up to the stairs and to the bathroom, the doors, the, the main doors to the bathroom, were already open. So I walked through the door, and uh, there was no one in there, and I went to the cubicle, used the bathroom, and I came out, washed my hands, and then um, as I was just finishing washing my hands, I walked out and I looked around, and I noticed there were no urinals anywhere. I thought, oh, it's a fancy restaurant. There were no urinals in here. Anyway, I uh, walked out of the urinal, and uh, as I walked towards the door, walking towards the door, a woman came in. That's weird. She's got the wrong bathroom. And, uh, and then I looked up, and she looked at me quite angrily and shocked. Shocked and anger were her two emotions, I think, going on. And uh, I looked up, and I was like, that's weird. Walking towards the door, and I see ladies' toilets right there. I'm like, oh, wow, oops. And, um, and uh, I had no idea I was in the ladies' bathroom. And I was, uh, I was as shocked as the angry lady was. And uh, I had no idea I was standing in the lady's bathroom. I was totally unaware of where I was. And I was thankful that a bunch of women didn't come in when I was in the cubicles. I would have been stuck there forever, um, trying to get out of there in awkward. Uh, but I thought I was, I was in the men's bathroom, that I was fine. There was, you know, just going about my business and it was all good. But Paul is saying here, you think you are fine. You think you're okay. You think you know where you stand, and you think, you, you think that you and Jesus are, you know, are doing all right, but he's saying you're not. Hear the warning. You aren't, and you, uh, you, you, you need to be careful and listen and take action. Otherwise, you will be disqualified just like the Israelites. Now, we can, we can hear this, and I want, I want to unpack it for you and tell you what it's saying, but we can hear this, and then we think, well, what do we do with this? We're, in, we're 2,000 years later. We're not in Greece. We are actually in City Light Balmain hearing this, hearing God's word speak to us. 
What do we do with this? Now, I'm sure as I read that, there'd be a bunch of people who hear this and would freak out and think, well, this is me. I'm in danger of being disqualified. Um, I'm no good. I keep failing. I keep falling. Surely Jesus is sick of me uh, and my failures. And maybe I'm not a Christian and I won't be much longer if I keep hearing passages, passages like this. And it will cause you to doubt. Can I say, that is not what God wants from you from this passage or for you, is to doubt. God does not want you to doubt your faith. Yep, if you are feeling there is unrepentant sin in your life that you aren't dealing with, maybe God is prompting you, the Holy Spirit is prompting you to, to, to give an area of your life over to Him or to get rid of a sin that's in your life. But He doesn't want people to doubt their faith. That's not what God wants. That's not the point of this passage. I think the more of the aim of this passage and the warning passages in general are aimed at the person who is lukewarm and okay with it or unaware of it. And they're just drifting in their face. They may or may not feel it, but really, eh, it's okay. It's just a season. And they're comfortable with their, where they're at with Jesus. That is, not pursuing growth, not knowing him more, not understanding his grace more every day. They're okay with that. Some areas of their life they know that Jesus wouldn't like, but that's all right. And don't hear me say that we're not a work in progress. We all are a work in progress. That we all fall, and God's grace is sufficient and enough for us. But the issue here is being okay with being lukewarm. Being okay with your relationship being a Sunday thing. Being okay not to bring your whole life under the Lordship of Christ. Every area from relationships to sex to money to family to work to where you live to how you love to what you live for. Being okay not to bring all of that on the Lordship of Christ and saying, no, that's mine, God. That's not yours. This warning passage is aimed at those of us who are okay with being lukewarm. And I say this because I love you and, because, and, and please, please hear this warning. Don't be okay with being lukewarm. Only interact with Jesus on a Sunday here for an hour or so. Don't be okay with not meeting Jesus in the Bible for yourself throughout the week. Don't be okay with not bringing your whole life under the Lordship of Christ. Don't be okay with leaving sin unchecked and saying, oh, it's just who I am. Don't be content with your lack of growth in knowing Jesus and cherishing him more. Don't be okay with not going all in for Jesus, walking the narrow road, taking up your cross daily. Don't be okay with being complacent in your faith. The road, the lukewarm road, leads to disqualification. Jesus is so clear about that. He's so clear about that. And it breaks my heart when I see people I love and I care for, people that have sat here in the same chair that you have sat in here, that you are sitting in. People that we have sat next to in MCs and on a Sunday who are no longer following Jesus because they did not hear these warnings. I can, name, I can name you 10, 15, 20 of them. I'm only four years old. Can I say, if you are feeling convicted in any way, shape, or form, if God is speaking to you right now, don't ignore it. The stakes are too high. Eternity is at stake. Act. Listen. Do something. I'll be out the back after uh, during these three songs to pray with you. We had a few people this morning come and pray with Jez and I. 
who wanted to act and, and do something. Or even if, if, you're a follower, if, you're a, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're feeling, wow, I've got to do something, come at the back and talk to us. Or maybe you think you've been a Christian and you realize you're not. Come at the back and act today. Come and talk to us. Take action. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He wants you to take action. Paul calls us at the end of chapter 9 to be self-disciplined, to fight the good fight of faith. Following Jesus takes intentionality. And these warning passages are, are God's means of keeping us, of getting us to, he, to, to keep on the narrow road, to point us back to Him. And we need to listen and to act. But I want to finish this where Paul finishes this, and it's a word of comfort. And Paul brings this comfort to the Corinthians. And have a look at sentence 13 with me. It says this, Paul saying to the Corinthians, No temptation has over, overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with, the temptation he, uh, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be, may be able to endure it. Here's the comfort. Paul knows that following Jesus is hard. The Corinthians are in the vast minority and they live in a city where it's tough to be a follower of Jesus. They are surrounded by countless gods, by sacrifice, by temple prostitution, whatever it, whatever it is that's in that city, and they try to follow Jesus in that city. The culture is opposed to them in Jesus' ways. There'll be temptations and trials. And Paul knows that. And we live in a similar world. Temptations and trials come at us every single day. We have temptations and trials that are a part of the fallen world. We face the battle that is out there, being a minority in a culture that don't know Jesus. We also face the strong battle that is in within here, our own hearts thinking that I can't do it, I'm not good enough, it's all too hard, is Jesus really worth it? We face that inner monologue. But, and this is what Paul is saying, God will not let you tempt, be tempted beyond what you can bear. The sovereign Lord over all is not absent from this world, he's not absent from your life, and when he sees you stumble, he'll be there to pick you up and protect you and saying, you're my child. He's your rock, your shield, your protector, your ever-present help and your strength. And we must run to him again and again, knowing his mercies are on you each morning. His, his loving hand will be there to shield us, but we must let him. We live in a world that is similar to Corinth, as I said. We are in the minority, and more than that, we are in a battle. We often don't recognize we are in a battle. We are in a spiritual war, as Paul says in Ephesians. The war that rages against not just flesh and blood, but the flesh and blood, but the spiritual realms. We are on the outer and we face temptation every single day. But what I love is that we do not walk alone uh, in our faith. We have Jesus on our side, the one who is faithful, who promises he would never leave nor forsake us. God, who gave us his own son to make us his own, says, I will not let you be tempted beyond your ability and you will endure. I have you. Come to me and trust me. I'm going to finish with this passage from, uh, from John 16, 33. And I love what Jesus says here. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Let's see people who run daily again and again to the one who has overcome, finding strength in him to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to invite the band up to rejoice, to be sing of truth of the gospel. 
I want to give you time now to truly reflect. Maybe, maybe you're sitting there, yeah, you're like, yep, heard a warning, great. I want to say, hear the warning. Hear the warning of God and do something this afternoon. Maybe you need to be confident saying, how good is God that I am known, I am cherished by Him. Cherish, uh, uh, revel in that this afternoon. But I want to give you time now just to sit and to think and to pray and to ponder what God has said to you. We're not going to rush off. We're going to do some business with God and I'll give you time to do that right now.